Welcome to the CSIS podcast, where we're on part three of our No Matter Who Wins series, where we look at the world that awaits the next president. I'm Colm Quinn. We're now focused on Europe, an area that hasn't lacked for problems to fix. A massive migration crisis, a resurgent Russia, a stagnant economic recovery, and an increase in populism are all going to test whoever sits in the Oval Office. We hear from Heather Conley, Senior Vice President for Europe and Eurasia, on where they should start. They have to focus on Europe. Uh, Start there. Um, And it's not that uh, the Obama administration, and certainly President Obama himself, has not been a frequent visitor to Europe. Um, But we, I think, have witnessed a Europe that has yet to really re-emerge from the 2008 financial crisis where, like in our own country, populism, nationalism is on the rise. Uh, there's in some ways a crisis of confidence in our democracies. And so that expression was seen in Brexit. That expression has been seen in the migration crisis and in the rise of far-right and far-left leaders in Europe. So in some ways, transatlantically, we share this crisis of confidence in our own societies, our governance, our, our, our economic structures. What we have to do, the next president, I hope, will see Europe as a a vital interest to the United States, that America's security uh, is uh, bound in Europe's security. Um, If Europe is weak, the United States is inherently weaker. If Europe cannot join the U.S. in working on a whole range of global problems, we are de facto unilateral. So historically, uh, the United States has invested an enormous sum into Europe, blood, treasure, sacrifice, and work. We can't walk away from this project, and we've sort of been assuming it, it, it could motor on by itself. It needs a great deal of, of American engagement, but it's going to be different. And I think this is the challenge for the next president. How we've conducted ourselves, I would almost say globally, but I'll just stick to, to Europe, it, it, it worked 25 years ago. It's not going to work like that anymore. We have to find new ways, new approaches. You know, that typical give a speech, give them a pat on the back, and, you know, we're good. No, we have to have a conversation with civil society. We have to make sure that uh, our companies are engaged and are active, our cultural diplomacy. We have to be sort of everywhere because when the United States isn't there, there's a vacuum. And what we found over the last several years Others step into that vacuum. Russia steps into that vacuum. China steps into that vacuum. Now, people could say, well, who cares? You know, that's that's sort of how it works. But they don't share our values. They don't share our interests. I want the United States and Europe to work successfully and collaboratively everywhere. But that requires a new approach. And while we're trying to figure that out, um, uh, the Kremlin has some different ideas about what Europe should look like whether it's a sphere of influence, whether it's a very uh, unsettled Europe, which is much more uh, susceptible and receptive to the Kremlin's uh, ideas and its interest. We're looking at at Turkey, an incredibly significant country uh, that is going through a profound internal upheaval and an external uh, challenge. So we don't have to look for things. The next person doesn't have to look for issues. 
what he or she has to do is prioritize them and figure out the U.S. approach to help work with Europe to work through these crises. I mean, in, in this election, policy hasn't really been talked about a lot, let alone foreign policy. The one country, and we did just talk about it, that has been mentioned is Russia. Both candidates seem to have different approaches. What would you recommend for the, for the president to be looking at? So you're absolutely right. Uh, this has been both a policy-free debate, uh, tragically, but it's also uh, Russia has been a standout in where the two candidates have absolutely opposing views about how to approach Russia. And, and that in itself is, I think it speaks to a lack of general bipartisanship on major challenges. Uh, so let's first recognize that uh, that's a pretty significant issue. I think the, the, the there's two things that um, I think the next president, and again, this will very much depend on who the next president is uh, because of their differences on policy towards Russia. We've seen an extraordinary factor in our own election of Russia's influence and manipulation of the U.S. election. We're seeing that across the board in Europe, and next year uh, has very important elections in France and in Germany. Um, so number one, we have to understand that we have to make sure our systems are healthy and transparent, and we have to fight this influence because it can erode our own confidence in our democracy. I mean, some of it we're doing all, all by ourselves, but uh, it doesn't need any help. And we need to be very, uh, uh, very alert and be resilient towards this influence. That's, that's number one. Uh, number two... You know, Russia is posing an increasing challenge to the United States militarily, whether that's in Syria, whether that's in Europe. Um, it's very, very dangerous. Uh, Russia, I believe, is uh, implementing a risk escalation strategy, meaning that the more behavior we're seeing, it's risky. They're flying very close to U.S. aircraft and U.S. Uh, vessels. Um, and we're, we're working on the, an absolute different strategy. We're trying to reduce risk. We're trying to deconflict. We're trying to, you know, have a dialogue to make sure we can try to get back to a diplomatic path. But I, for, I think for, uh, the, for Russia's domestic internal purposes, they need escalation. They, in some ways, they need conflict. Uh, and this is a very dangerous moment. We uh, are, are working very closely militarily to one another. We can have an accident. We can have a miscalculation. We can see a Russian snap military exercise that could be something else. We could misunderstand it. Other countries could start moving forces. So th we just need to understand it's dangerous. Uh, we need to be very clear in our messages to the Russian government, uh, get back to our principles about you don't violate the territorial integrity of your neighbors. You don't interfere, uh, as we're seeing the interference with the cyber uh, offensive capabilities. And we're going to have to be prepared to punish Russian behavior as it continues to to violate those principles. That's a really tough policy, and that requires the support of the American people. It will require Europe's support in that. And those are big, those are big asks and big lifts. And the next president, if that's the policy approach they take, will have to do a lot of work. Um, I've been asking this of, of our other experts too, I think, in DC, at least we're exposed a little more to, say, the European press. And when you've been traveling and you've seen it, 
Um, how have people in, in the region been talking about the U.S. election? What is it kind of effect does it have? So I would argue that uh, Europe is probably following the U.S. presidential election closer than some Americans are. I, it, 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 it amazes me the coverage of, of European media and press. They send their correspondents here. Uh, I was just in Brussels and Berlin last week, and I felt like I was in Washington getting that coverage. I mean, it's it's very intense. Again, it's so important. The United States plays such an extraordinarily important role in Europe, European security, trade, and investment. This election matters to them. And I think in some ways they get so involved in our elections. Many Europeans think that, you know, I should have a vote. It, this is going to impact me. I should vote. So they're, they're very, very involved. And they're very, very worried, just as I wish more Americans were worried about the health of Europe right now and its politics uh, and the groups uh, that, you know, sound a little bit like Mr. Trump and sound uh, they're very nationalistic and they're very, you know, anti-immigrant sentiment and they're against free trade. And so tragically, we have a lot of similarities. But uh, most European audiences are following this incredibly carefully. They are very nervous. They're nervous because they've seen the role of the United States change over the last decade. And potentially this election could be a sea change. Uh, we don't know, but it could be. And you know, these countries have banked their sort of future security and economic status based on a stable, prosperous United States. And they're just concerned that what they thought the U.S. stood for, they may not stand for in the future. Trying to be positive. It's we're rarely positive on this. There's usually not much positivity to, to talk about. No, we got to be positive. Have we got to be positive. Is there something on your wish list? Is there something that you would like the next president on a, on a more specific level to be looking at? Oof. Well, I mean, both the incredible challenge, but we hope the opportunity lies within Brexit. I think. Um, not the not what we would have wanted f to have happen, because we want Europe to be prosperous and unified for a whole host of issues that's very important to the U.S. But now the decision has happened. The United States has to quietly, uh, behind the scenes, work with the United Kingdom to make sure that they navigate these very new waters successfully. We have to work equally quietly with the European Union to make sure the European Union comes out of this at 27, stronger, more unified. We're going to have to do a lot of what I call the roll up your sleeves diplomacy that we used to do decades ago uh, with our European allies because just as we've uh, gone through an enormous year of presidential politics and elections. They're ramping up into a very big year for, particularly for France and Germany. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in uh, next month, we'll have an Italian referendum that is going to be very important. It, it, things aren't static; they're changing. The U.S. has to play that role. Now, the question is, uh, although I think Europe will be higher on the agenda, at least I hope so. The U.S. has to juggle uh, incredible portfolios, the Middle East, Asia, uh, the subcontinent, uh, Africa. We don't have the luxury of just saying, I'm going to focus just on this part of the world and I'm going to give you all my attention. We have to have an ability to work 
strongly and flexibly and nimbly in all of these regions. We can't just pivot to one and sort of hope the rest doesn't come up and do something that we don't like. I think it's a structural challenge for uh, American diplomacy to be able to have uh, a multi-pronged regional approach. Um, but I, I hope the next president will embrace that challenge and certainly we'll see a more engaged uh, U.S. in Europe working through the Brexit issues, helping Germany navigate through uh, a transformative moment uh, as, in a, as a leader in Europe. The Russia challenge looms large. I would put the Turkey challenge in that category as well. There's so much at stake. Um, we cannot have Europe fail. Well, we did the Brexit podcast. We didn't call it before. We're not going to call it now. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see what, what Tuesday brings. Well, uh, and Brexit was an example of what we thought did not quite turn out to be the case. All right. So we'll just wait and see. We'll wait and see. Heather Conley, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Colm. And that was Heather Conley bringing us to the end of our show. We're going to tackle the rest of the remaining regions of the world in the coming week, so do please stay tuned. I'm Colm Quinn. Thanks for listening.